Good morning. Oh, it's good to see you. Uh, how many of you, like me, put on weight over Christmas? Okay, all the men, I noticed. That's cool. I went on a diet in 1996, and uh, every year since I put on weight. So it's been terrible. Um, so we're going to talk about battles and struggles, and um, we're going to talk about the, one of the biggest struggles uh, that we maybe have in life, which is to develop a godly character. Uh, the Word of God says that we can be like Jesus. In fact, Jesus said we can do even greater things than him, which seems impossible to me. And so over the next coming weeks, we're going to look at the kingdom principles. And this morning, I'm going to kind of introduce the theme of that and talk about what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. So if you've got your Bibles... Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to put this one on the screen today. Uh, but if you can't find it, it's Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10 um, for, for, uh, for two or three verses. So uh, let's read this together. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not with people. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Um, many, many years ago, there was an article in a British magazine, Christian magazine, that got more attention than any other and the article title was, Why Are Christian Men Such Wimps? Which seemed a bit unnecessary to me. Um, and it was talking about the fact that sometimes uh, we're so compromised um, morally that we can't lead. So we need to develop our godly character. And I often think about knights, um, but maybe not in the way that you would see on the screen on the video that we talked about. So um, when, I, when I first came to America, I, I got asked all sorts of questions. Every time I preached, someone would come up to me and I thought they were going to ask me about the sermon, but they wanted to ask me if they knew Bill who lives in Rotherham or some other ancestor, and then they'd tell me that they were Scottish or wherever. So I thought I'd tell you where I am. So on my father's side, um, I'm a Gibbs, and the Gibbs uh, go back a long way. So the Gibbs actually were Picts. So the Gibbs go back to the Picts. They were, they lived, they were actually pirates, believe it or not lived on land on the northeast side of Scotland. Uh, and they were the guys who, who uh, made their faces blue, if you've ever seen the movies. And their motto was firm of purpose. My dad told me, this is the, this is the coat of arms for the Gibbs. My, my dad told me, I don't know if this translates, but um, these axes, these battle axes, he said, stood for my mum and my two grandmothers. That is not true, I found out a little bit later. Um, so the question is, if you're firm of purpose, that's good, but what should our purpose be as Christians? You know, when you look at knights on a Hollywood screen, you think, well, warriors, people who go and fight people, but the kingdom of God cannot be advanced by fighting with people. The kingdom of God comes a different way. It comes through love, it comes through compassion, loving God and loving our neighbors. In actual fact, knights in the medieval uh, days Weren't their primary job was not to be a warrior. Their primary job was to be a role model. These were inspirational characters who served the king. Uh, every New Year's, uh, uh, every New Year's uh, in England, there is an honours list that goes out. And I don't know if you know this, but people are still knighted in England. So people uh, kneel before uh, the queen or another member of royalty. Yeah, big sword, dib dib dub dub, and they arise a knight. 
And these people are very rarely uh, people who've fought a battle. They're normally people who've been an inspiration or served their community in some way. So on my mother's side, um, I'm a Gibbs, and our motto is firm of purpose. But the question is, what is the purpose of a Christian? On my mother's side, uh, I'm a Munro. The Munro clan is very nearly now a thousand years old. Um, it was um, the first record of the Munro clan is 1039. The Munros were famous for serving the king. So if you've heard of a king called Robert the Bruce, um, it was the Munro clan that backed him uh, as he got rid of um, um, pirates and all sorts of Vikings and stuff many, many, many years ago. But there's a story, the reason I'm telling this, there's a story about Robert the Bruce that I think helps us when we think about developing our character. It's a true story. Uh, many, many years ago, Robert the Bruce was so loved that when he died, he asked that um, some good knights would cut out his heart and take it to the Holy Land. So a guy called Douglas cut out his heart, put it in a lead canister, and, and he hung it around his neck. And then one day during a battle, when uh, this particular group, where they were losing, Robert the Bruce was so loved that Douglas lifted up the heart. They were, they were retreating. Douglas lifted up the heart, showed it to his men, threw it behind enemy's lines and said, go fight for the heart of your king. Kind of cool. And that's what they did. They moved forward and they attacked. And as Christians, we should be on the attack, not against people, but against spiritual forces. Now, uh, the fact of the matter is, eventually that uh, heart was buried in Melrose Abbey. Uh, so today, in fact, 1996, they dug it up, put those little things through, and they found this mummified heart. It's still there. No one will ever fight over Robert the Bruce's heart again. But who's going to fight over God's heart? Who's going to fight for the, for the things that are in God's heart? Who's going to fight for the dreams that God has? God's calling us. God's calling me, and he's calling you. But for me, I know... I feel unworthy. And I don't feel like I can be the kind of person that can fight for the heart of the king because I make so many mistakes. So how can I develop myself? How can I develop God's vision, if you like, for me? So I think there's a problem. And this is how I explain the problem because if you know me by now, any of you, you know I'm quite visual. Um, so I believe that many of us as Christians, we have a problem. And one of them is that we live on a line Okay, let me explain. I call this line dwelling. Uh, at one of the end of the line, we spend our time asking questions such as, how far can I go until I get in trouble? What can I get away with before, before things go wrong for me? When I was younger, I used to work in youth ministry, boys would always come up to me as a youth pastor and say, I've got a girlfriend, what are we allowed to do? What are, what are we allowed to do? What can I do? What can't I do? My youth pastor used to say this. He used to say, if you've not got one, don't touch theirs. That was his principle. It's not very helpful. If you've not got one, don't touch theirs. Um, but that's what we do. And then on the other side of the line, we kind of think, oh, well, what, 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 what can I do to get a reward? And you hear preachers preaching about line dwelling all the time. And they'll say, give, and if you give, you'll get more. Well, maybe, maybe not. And, and for many of us, we live on this line and um, the, the Jews have a word for this. It's called halakha. It's the religious laws. And sometimes we argue against each other. Rather than fighting the, the devil, we fight against each other because we think, well, this is okay, but that's not. And then we argue our case with each other, what you should and should not be allowed to do. It's called line dwelling. Do you know how to hypnotize a chicken? Anybody know that? 
If you've ever put it up on YouTube, yes, yeah, some people are nodding. Don't know my Bible, but I know how to hypnotize a chicken. <laughs> you put, you put a, a, a chicken's head and its beak on the floor, and you, you put a line away on chalk or something, and it'll just stare at the line forever until you like kick it, which I would never do, or clap very loud and wake it up again. Don't believe me? Look on YouTube. Do you know how to hypnotize a Christian? Do the exact same thing. You do. You get them to stare at the line. You get them to concentrate on the rules and regulations. But here's the problem. God's rules are fantastic. They're wonderful. They, they help us know where we're failing, but they don't have the power to help us succeed. They're fantastic because you, know, you need to know where you're failing, don't you? Sometimes in our society now where you can't tell anybody something's wrong, we don't like the sound of that. But the reality is we need sometimes to know where we're failing to help us move on. It's an important part of learning, is learning what we've done wrong. But they don't have the power to help us. God's laws are a bit like, um, forgive me if I've said this before, they're a bit like a car mechanic's computer. So uh, if any of you have a posh car, like we have a posh car now, i.e. it was built in the last 10, 15 years, it has a computer in it. So you take it to the, um, I was gonna say doctors, you take it to the car mechanics and they plug it into a machine, don't they? And the machine, will, a diagnostic will tell you what's wrong with the Oh, this is wrong with the car. That's great, but the machine doesn't then fix it. Something else does. It's only the Holy Spirit that can help us develop godly character. And so when Jesus talks, he very rarely talked about Halakha. He was always getting asked questions about the law. Peter comes up to him and says, how often should we forgive? How many times? Tell me whereabouts. What I should forgive, what I shouldn't forgive. And we're often going, what, what can I do? What kind of movies can I watch? Can I drink alcohol? Can I not drink alcohol? What can I do? We ask these questions all the time. And yet Jesus, when he was given a blank sheet of paper, he didn't talk about Halakha. He talked about something else. He talked about something called Haggadah. Haggadah are the stories or the parables or the illustrations that paint the picture of what's in God's heart when he gave us the rules. He gives us the spirit behind the laws, the spirit behind the rules. And the way we develop godly character is not by just thinking, what should we do and what shouldn't we do? It's by searching God's heart, asking him what's in his heart, and then he's going to reveal certain principles to us so we can fight for those principles. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of those principles. Mark 4 verse 22 says this, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. So the kingdom of God is often like a pearl hidden or treasure in a field. It's hidden. It's something we go and discover. It's something we go and look for. And, and therefore Jesus gives us these principles. He doesn't always tell us what to think. He tells us how to think. And we're going to look at these different uh, principles, but let me, if you don't mind, just read something to you from the book that this is um, partly from. I'm just going to read something to you. It says this, God has granted us through Jesus another kind of freedom. Freedom from choice versus freedom of choice. One is closer to the heart of God than the other. In the old covenant, he shaped a community to display his glory and justice by giving them a freedom from choice. He set up rules and regulations, stipulations and systems. Yet under the new covenant, God compels people forward, demonstrating his glory and grace by giving us a freedom of choice. He lays out principles and parables and supervision through the Spirit, 
But in this brave new world, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Suddenly, our relationship with God is emphasized. And because the questions that may come to our minds are beneficial to whom and constructive to what? So in the Old Testament, you have all these rules and laws and controls. And Jesus comes and says, you know, they're good. I've not come to destroy them, but I've come to show you something deeper and better. It's a relationship. You can have a relationship with the Father and you can learn what was in the, what is in the heart of the Father when he put those rules in place. Because sometimes we can obey the rules but miss the point. Wouldn't it be better if we could understand what actually in the heart of God, what's he dreaming? What's he thinking about? What's his dream for this planet, for our community? So knights made a promise. They made a promise to certain principles. I'm going to show you uh, two clips this morning. I'm going to show you two clips which, in my mind, are another way of looking at the gospel. Um, I'll explain what I mean by that uh, at the end of the second clip. But let me just show you one clip. This is, is a clip from a film called The Kingdom of Heaven, oddly. I'm going to show that first clip now, if that's okay, guys. So this is a father approaching his, his a son approaching his father who's a knight. And the knight, the father knights him. Get on your knees. Without fear in the face of your enemies. Be brave and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth always, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless and do no wrong. That is your oath. So the father knights the son, and when he knights him, he gives him certain commission, a mandate, if you like, that the son promises to held. The father sends, our father in heaven sends the son, and the son has a job to do. And the son has a promises to keep that take him all the way to the cross and death on the cross. And the son passes on that oath to you and I. He passes on that dream to you and I, and along with it, he gives us principles to help us develop the character and understand what's in the God's heart. And we're gonna look at these six principles over the next few weeks. Um, and we'll look at one principle over two weeks. We're gonna look at the principle, and then we're gonna look at the promise and the practice of that principle each time. But we're gonna look at the difference between cloud dwelling and line dwelling. 
Because line dwellers ask certain questions and cloud dwellers ask a different question. Line dwellers, people who are just looking at the laws, ask certain questions. But those who are looking for the spirit behind the law understand that God is asking them a different kind of question. For instance, we're seeking line dwellers ask, how much is required and what guarantee will I get in return? Whereas those who are living according to the spirit of God allow God to ask us, how often do you dream my dream and what price tag would you put on it? Uh, when we're line dwellers and we're judging, we, we ask questions like, how often should I forgive? If we're cloud dwelling, we allow God to ask us the question, will you first take the plank out of your own eye? If we're storing up good things within us, if we're thinking about the things we watch, the films we watch, the places we go to, the conversations we have, line dwellers will ask questions like, well, what movie rating is okay for me to watch? Ah, PG-13, PG. But if we're cloud dwellers, we'll allow God to ask us questions like, well, how much do you care about my reputation? And how much of my power do you want in your religion? When it comes to using the things that God has given us, line dwellers might ask questions like, what great thing can you give me that's worth me doing great? Whereas cloud dwellers might, ask, might allow God to ask them, will you risk the little you have on those who have even less? When it comes to reaping and sowing, line dwellers might ask, well, what can I do now that will benefit me soon? Whereas cloud dwellers might allow God to ask, will you do uh, what will you do now so that others can benefit from it in the future? Those of us who want to serve God, we might want to, you know, there are different ones amongst us. There are some of us who we want to be famous, we want to be on the stage. And there are some of us who the last thing we want to be is on the stage. But what is humility really look like in the heart of God? I'm going to suggest over this course, it's not what you think. What God sees humility is not what the world sees humility. And when we're truly humble, it gives us incredible freedom and God can use us as role models, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Cloud dwellers see kingdom principles where line dwellers are blind to them. When I was younger, I had a girlfriend called Tracy. No, a different one called Elaine. And um, I'm just showing off now. Not the same time. I'm not that kind of, I'm not that kind of boy. But... Um, um, there's a passage of scripture, it's Hebrews 5 verse 12 says this, In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary principles of God's word all over again. Now, when you look at that word in the Greek, the print word principle, it means to march in military rank, to keep in step, to conform. In other words, the kingdom principles are going in the Bible all the time. They're mentioned by Jesus once or twice, but when you, when you understand them, you'll see them in the Bible and in your own life all the time. So when I had this girlfriend, Elaine, um, her parents had this posh car. It was a yellow Datsun, a yellow Datsun. It was really weird. I don't know if it's ever happened to you. So I met Elaine. They show me, the parents show me their car. And I'd never seen this car before. And then after it, I saw, I saw these cars all the time. Has that ever happened to you? You know someone that has a certain type of car, and then you just suddenly start seeing that car all the time. Is that my imagination? No. That's like the same with the kingdom principles. What's going to happen is we're going to, we're, going to, we're going to open them and look at them over the next few weeks, and I guarantee you'll see them in your life, in your friends' lives, in your neighbors' lives, and in the Word of God constantly. They're marching through time, and they're revealing to us something about the heart of God and something about how we can develop our own heart to be like him as well. 
Let me, let me show you a, a second clip, because in my mind, this summarizes the gospel um, from a slightly different perspective. Um, later on in the story, uh, sorry, uh, later on in the story, uh, what happens is the son, who was knighted by his father, his father dies, and the son is found, is defend, uh, defending Jerusalem. Uh, and this is, this is what happens. Thanks, John. It has fallen to us to defend Jerusalem, and we have made our preparations as well as they can be made. None of us took this city from Muslims. No Muslim of the great army now coming against us was born when this city was lost. We fight over an offense we did not give against those who were not alive to be offended. What is Jerusalem? Your holy places lie over the Jewish temple that the Romans pulled down. The Muslim places of worship lie over yours. Which is more holy? The wall? The mosque? The sepulcher? Who has claim? No one has claim. All have claim. That is blasphemy. Be quiet. We defend this city, not to protect these stones, but the people living within these walls. My lord, my lord, how are we to defend Jerusalem without knights? We have no knights! Truly. What is your condition? I am servant of the Patriarch. That is uh, one of my servants. Is he? You were born a servant. Neil. Every man at arms, all capable of bearing them. Neil! On your knees! Be without fear in the face of your enemies. Be brave and upright that God may love thee. Speak the truth, even if it leads to your death. Safeguard the helpless. That is your oath. And that is so you remember it. Rise a knight! Rise a knight! Come 
lost the gravedigger. This is you, not what I was, nor are you. Rise a knight. Who do you think you are? Will you alter the world? Doesn't making a man a knight make him a better fighter? Yes. I just love this, this image. The father knights the son, and the son knights all those who will bow the knee. The father gives the son a mandate, and the son passes that mandate on to you and to I. And as much as we feel that we're not knights, as maybe we can't be role models, God would say otherwise. God would say otherwise. He would say, you can be a shining light. You can be bright. God can, can lift us up. Uh, and, and we may not even want that, but God wants that for us. And he wants us to develop his character. It will not come through just looking at the rules and the guidelines all the time. doesn't mean we ignore them, but it comes by pursuing the heart of the king. Find out what's in his heart, what is his dream for us and for this world. Jesus said it another way. And a few weeks ago, we talked about this just in closing. We talked about this concept of a Hebrew word, kavanah, which I believe Jesus was thinking about all the time. But God wants, and Jesus wants us to have an awareness of his presence and his purpose for what we do. On the Gibbs side, firm of purpose. What, what if I don't understand the purpose? God wants us to have a, a purpose, understand our purpose and his presence as we do what he asks us to do. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 4. A time is now coming when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kinds of worshippers the Father seeks. I would encourage you this new year, if you're like me and you're inspired to serve the Lord, but you don't feel worthy, God's going to give us some, some fantastic principles over the next, few, the next few weeks for us to grab hold of and see his transformation in our hearts. And we're getting an insight into what Jesus and the Father really meant by some of the things he asked us to do. Let's just pray. Well, we just, um, we love the fact that you believe in us so much. Though we, we always think about how much we need to believe in you. And it's true. And we need to believe in you more. But Lord, we need to understand how much you believe in us as well. That you've passed on the Father's mandate to advance your kingdom in this world. And as we discover what your kingdom really is, and as we discover to advance it in our own lives, as we see transformation in our lives, as we see transformation, therefore, in our world, I pray you will help us to always give you the glory and everything that we do that is good will point back to you, we pray. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen.